Um, well, welcome. We're going to transition here. And welcome to our first night of a series called Two, playing the number two in a number one world, because we live in a world currently um, that cares very much about the number one. If you go to Barnes & Noble's today, you will see hundreds of books on leadership. You will see podcasts. You will see sermons. You will see theories on how to make you a leader, how to make me a leader. Even in the Christian world, even in the church world, here in Denver and across America, there is an obsession, and I would say unhealthily so, towards the number one. That we are obsessed with David and we ignore Jonathan. Yet they are both made in the image of God. That we love the leaders but we pay no mind to the number two. And what I think God wants to do in this series is nothing short than awaken a whole bunch of us to what it means to actually serve so that the kingdom advances. Amen? And so I think this series is going to be powerful. I think it is going to free some of you up. I think that, there, that God is going to move in every single person's life because of this series. We love the first position. How many of you are band geeks in here? Yeah! clarinet you know like yeah sit proud like if you are a band geek in high school you want what you want first amen you want first chair you do not want second chair you do not want to play second fiddle. You do not want to play second string. You want the first. This is what we are told by society to value. We are told by society that this is the thing that is worth pursuing, that the trajectory of your life, that the only reason your life is going to matter is if you aim to be number one and nothing less. We have a Ricky Bobby mentality where if you aren't first, you're last. Right? And so in this world, there is no place for number twos. We have no idea what to do with or how to deal with a number two. And yet God says in his holy word that there are men and women of the Bible who served God and they pleased God and they fulfilled their God-given destiny and they fulfilled their God-given role, not in the number one spot, but in the number two spot. People like Jonathan, people like Esther, People like Aaron the high priest, John the Baptist, Barnabas, Mary Magdalene, Stephen, Ruth, Joseph. These people fulfilled exactly what God had them do, and they played their entire lives out, not as the number one, but as the number two. And... Um, this is important for us tonight because so many of you are graduating from college. You are going to be getting your first jobs, and your first job might not even be playing the number two. You might be playing the number five. You might just be lucky enough to get coffee for someone, and yet there is significance and there is a God-given glory in that role. Some of you in here tonight, you are called to be a number one. Maybe not all of you, and you need to hear that, but some of you are called to be number one, but you are playing the number two, and God wants you to steward this season just right. Some of you in here, you are called to be a helper. You are called to be a helpmate. You are called to be a number two, and you are called to be an armor bearer. And you need to know tonight, this whole series is going to free you up to be who God created you to be, and nothing less. And you don't have to look like the rest of the world, and you don't have to be successful the way the world says you have to be successful. Amen? And here's the reality for 100% of us in here, is that if you are not the president of the United States, every single one of us in here will play the number two throughout our lifetimes. It is our reality. And so 
Jesus says, I love number twos. Jesus says, I play a number two to the Father. And he says, this is how I do it. Do nothing, this is Philippians 2, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. And then the message version says it this way, and I love it. If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made a difference in your life, if being in community of the Spirit has mean anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, do me a favor and agree with each other. Love one another. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet your, talk your way to the top. That's the way the world does it. Push yourself aside. Help others instead to get ahead. Don't obsess about getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to be talking about what it means to be a number two in a number one world. And the four weeks are titled this. We've got our first week here, which is I win when you win. That's that first logo. The second logo here is I was built for this. Say I was built for this. The third logo here is I'll be your confidence. Say I'll be your confidence. And the last one is, I must decrease. Say, I must decrease. And tonight, the title is, I win when you win. I win when you win. And all I do is win when I'm a number two. That's how it rolls. All right? So let's pray tonight and invite God to be here. God, we thank you so much. We open up your holy word and we say thank you for our life and for how we are able to gift other people. We praise you, God, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we need not look around we need not be like anyone else, God, but we can focus on your intentionality towards us and we can live out the calling that you have for us. God, I pray that people feel built up tonight in your Holy Spirit, that by your word, God, we would advance your kingdom, God, and we would know that some of the most powerful people in the world do it by serving as a number two. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, how many of you like being bossed around? Raise a hand. <laughs> okay, liars. The answer to that is nunyas, right? Like nunyas like being bossed around. Like none of us want to be none of us want to be told to do what to do if we are honest. None of us want, you know, someone to, you know, kind of manage our days or give us a to-do list. Like none of us want but here's the deal is that the reality for you and the reality for me is we all have bosses, right? And we will be bossed around. We won't always be the boss. Amen. And if you haven't experienced this uh, yet in your job life, you probably have already experienced it in grade school. How many of you were cool in grade school? I hate you guys. How many of you played the wingman to the cool person in grade school? That was me. All right. You're my people. Let's, let's talk about it. All right. So... In fifth grade, my house burns down and I have to go to a new school. Feel sorry for me. It's fine. And I have to go to a new school. I was the cool kid at my old elementary. I was kind of smart and I was kind of cool. But I moved to this new school where I need tutoring and I am not cool, okay? And I meet this girl. Her name is Bethany and she is the cool chick in the school. And I have the privilege, y'all, of being her number two, okay? And so she calls me and she's like, yo, girl, on Mondays we're going to wear our headbands. And I'm like, okay, you know. And she's like, on Tuesdays we need to wear Bronco gear. And I'm like, all right, you know. And I'm like, getting out of my jersey. And then she's like, and on Wednesdays we wear pink, you know. And, and she was Regina George, but she was not mean. You know what I mean? And she never got hit by a bus. And so, and so, um, 
But she was, she was my number one. And so basically what I did was basically like kind of serve her, essentially. I really did. I went where, you know, Bethany wanted me to go. I did the things Bethany wanted me to do, essentially. Like she would be like, I need to sneak out to see my boyfriend, but um, I really need somebody to come with me. And I'd be like, all right, you know, and I'd sneak out too. So I was rebellious, but it was because I was following orders. I was very mixed up, you understand? And so, and so... And she'd be like, we got to sneak out to teepee and the whole thing. And one, one point, we end up going to uh, Washington, D.C. on our school trip, right? And we go on a school trip, and we're hanging out in the Smithsonian and, you know, hanging out at all the sites there in Washington, D.C. And the entire week, the agreement was we would carry one fanny pack and we would trade off, right? Like, it had our cameras in there. This was before, like, camera phones. And it's fun. I'm old. And, um... And we had our cameras in there, and we had, like, our, you know, our gum and, like, whatever else, right? And so, and so, but what ended up happening is the whole week, I carried around this yellow fanny pack. And I was just like, and she'd be like, oh, Jess, Jess, I need some gum. And I'd be like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like Napoleon Dynamite. And... And she'd like, you know, get her gum out. And then at one point she takes a picture, you know, and, and she's like, oh, Jess, Jess, come here. And I'm like, oh, yes, this is awesome. We're at the Smithsonian. I'm like, it's picture time with my best girl. And she's like, she's like, oh, here, I just need to put it back. And she zipped it up. And I was like, and the 12-year-old in me like snapped, right? And I whipped off that fanny pack and I was like, that is it. I'm no longer carrying your fanny. This is in the Smithsonian in front of the dinosaurs and stuff. I'm like, I can't carry your fanny pack anymore. Right? And I like throw it at her. And I'm like, you want to carry it? You carry it yourself. I am done. This is how it feels to be a number two. You are carrying somebody else's weight. You are maybe looking kind of stupid in the process. This is how it feels to play the number two. And most of us in here, we would think to ourselves, well, my goodness, it would be so much better for me to play the number one. I would love to get an opportunity to play the number one where somebody else carried my weight and somebody else maybe, you know, looked a little bit silly on my behalf. Like, I would love to play the number one. Most of us in here, we want to be a top exec at a company. Maybe we want to be the lead nurse on the floor. Maybe we want to be the principal at the school. Maybe you want to be the lead pastor. This is what we are taught, and this is what we believe will bring our lives value. But you need to understand tonight that great number ones, the requirement for that is that you are an exemplary number two. And even better than that, even better than that is this. I believe as a Christian, our lives have the most power, the most power when we play and we serve and we push with everything we got as a number two that our lives hold the most power there. And so if you have your Bibles, we are going to look at a stupendous number two in the Bible. Um, turn to Genesis chapter 37. G Genesis chapter 37. You guys are quiet tonight. Do you have a Bible? <laughs> if you got it, say, I got it. All right. Here it is. This is about Joseph. It said, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family, um, family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought his father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And they said to him, um, said to, or he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. This kid just can't get a clue. It's fine. <laughs> when he told his fathers um, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. Amen. This kid has got issues. And he says, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so we meet Joseph. He is 17 years old, and he is arrogant. He is 17. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm only 18, and so mad. Um, it's all right. <laughs> I'm kidding. And so... And so we meet him. He is arrogant. He has favor with his father, but he is not kind with that favor. And he has no idea. He has never led anyone or any group of people or anything. He has no skill set for leadership, and yet he has a dream to rule and for people to bow down to him. Joseph has a dream to rule. And so what's your vision tonight, young adult? Be reminded of it by the Holy Spirit. What is your dream tonight? What is your goal? What is your vision? Because I want you to understand that it is important to have dreams, that it is important to have vision, that the Bible says that without vision, we cast off restraint, we lose our way, we perish. It's important for us to have vision, and yet it needs to be held within this tension that it will never come at the expense of who we are. Not ever. And so we need to understand tonight that a vision is very important, that a dream is very important when it is in the proper place. See, for most of us in the room, we dream of a dream something like this, that we would climb and we would climb and we would, guys, I'm praying right now. It's fine. I'm not scared. 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 And that we would end up somewhere like this, where we are on top and where we tell everyone what to do and where everyone agrees with us and our vision is the direction that people go and our opinion matters and everything that we have to say matters and everybody runs, you know, decisions by us. We want to be, most of us when we dream, this is where we dream of being. This is what Joseph had a dream of. He dreamed of ruling others and others bowing down to him. And yet, for those of you who know Joseph's story, it's fine. <laughs> for those of you who know Joseph's story, you know that this dream, it never became a reality. At least not the way he dreamt it. Stay with me. The story in Genesis 37 reads like this, and it says that his brothers were sick of Joseph because they were like, you tattle on us, you're arrogant, I'm tired of you. And so if you think you got family issues, check this out. They're like, they're like, yo, we're so sick of this kid. And they're like, let's kill him. Because <laughs> that's what you do, I guess. And, 
And one of his brothers, Reuben, is like, whoa, 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 okay, um, let's not kill him. Let's just beat him up a little bit and throw him in a container. And so they do that. They, like, strip him of his robe, and they mess him up, and then they throw him in a cistern. And then one of his brothers, like the CFO of the group, right, his name is Judah, and he's like, let's not kill him. Let's sell him, right? Like, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's so good. And so, so a, a group of Ishmaelites come by. And they pick up Joseph and they take him to Egypt. His brothers sell him to the Ishmaelites and the Ishmaelites in turn resell him to a man named Potiphar. He is an official to Pharaoh at this point and he becomes a slave. And so at this point, Joseph isn't at the starting point of his dream. He's not even close. He's somewhere way over here. He is not even a number two. He is no more a number 1,807. He is a slave. And so what do you do as a number two in a number one world? And I think Joseph did a couple of things that honestly blow my mind, and we read past them too quickly. They absolutely reconfigure my life because I'm so proud of how he looked to God and how he made decisions in the space that he was in. For this 17-year-old who came across just a chapter before as arrogant, as spoiled, as absolutely out of touch with reality, he enters into this space where he is given chains and he is given a shovel and he makes some decisions about his life. And the first decision that he makes tonight that I want to talk about and that we can make wherever you're at, whatever your field looks like tonight is this, choose to thrive. Choose to thrive in your field. In Genesis 39, uh, it says this, The Lord was with Joseph in the field with Potiphar, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He was so awesome that Potiphar invited him in. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. The Lord gave him favor in every single thing that he did. And when that line says that, what it is saying is an ongoing process of faithfulness in Joseph's life. That it wasn't a one-time occurrence of being faithful to Potiphar, but that he chose day after day after day to show up and to be faithful with what he was given. And because of that, the Lord was with him and he gained favor. His feet in chains and a shovel in his hands, there is nothing in his world, and some of you need to hear this tonight, there was nothing in his world that looked like leadership in this moment. Anything that he had had from his previous life of maybe having favor with his father or coming from a, you know, a decent family tradition and a decent family home that could set him up for success for the things that he really wants to do, that has been stripped away. There is nothing that looks like um, the possibility of becoming a CEO at this point. This is not an entry-level position. He is a slave, and yet he chooses to thrive. There are no external factors in his life that would say, man, his life is going to be awesome at this point. And I think that if this is us, if we were being honest, if this is us, I mean, some of us struggle in, in, our, in our daytime job even right now. It is so difficult for us to show up and to thrive in the spots that God has put us. If this is me, I know I'm in the backfield like with my shovel, like laying on the ground, like, God, just kill me. <laughs> like, I hate my life and my brothers, right? Like, this is me. 
You know, and maybe, maybe if, I, if I manage to get myself up and, and, you know, active enough, I punch my time card in, I punch my time card out, I'm bitter with my work, but I'm not faithful. I do not choose to thrive. I at best choose to survive. This is me. This is us in the roles sometimes that we find ourselves in. We don't engage and we don't thrive here, and yet this is exactly what Joseph did. And I think to thrive, he made two very important decisions very early on just reading his story. And the first thing is this, I think he chose to let his dream die. I think he made a very poignant decision at some point to let his dream die. And so many of us, so many of us are so incapable of engaging with the space that God has given us because we're too busy daydreaming about what could be or what should be or where we should end up. We get lost in a daydream. And how many of us have friends? We have friends and maybe we are that friend and they have loads of dreams and they have loads of ambitions, dreams of getting married, dreams of of writing a book, dreams of being more than what they are currently. And they are so caught up in this constant state of dreaming that they never engage with the potential of today. And this is Satan's trick. It is to steal our days from us. We cling so deeply to our daydreams at the death of our days. And Potiphar says, not me, not me. He says, this was my dream. This was my dream to be here. And I think at some point for every single person in here, we have to say, all right, God, I'm so terrified. But here you go. Because God knows that this dream initially in Joseph, it was a man-made dream. It was a self-made dream. And it would either destroy Joseph or it would ruin his life ultimately and we'd be nothing like what he had originally hoped. And so he looks at God at some point and he says, okay, here you go. Because God knows what we don't know and here's what God knows is that he has to crucify the original dream in order to give birth to a godly dream. And so Joseph hands it over and he says, okay, okay, it's yours. And just like God works in every single thing in our lives, in the backfield of Potiphar's territory, God crucified his dream. And in the backfield, he resurrected it as well. He crucified Joseph's self so that he could give birth to a servant. This is the story of Joseph. Joseph burned up his plan B He let go of the daydreams, and he said, this is what I've got, and I'm going to engage. The first choice that he made was to allow God to take his dream. The second choice that he made is that he decided to bloom where he is planted, to bloom where he was planted. I think that um, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Psalm 118, verse 34. I wake up nearly every day and think about it. Every single day, this is the day, the Bible says, that the Lord hath made. And then it says this, I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice, meaning this is a choice of your will. I will use my will to rejoice and be glad and engage with today because guess what? That is all we're promised. And so according to Joseph's life, he took every single day and he engaged with what God gave him. He bloomed where he was planted, even if it was the backfield of Potiphar's territory. 
I know um, what it's like to plant something. I do not have a green thumb, but this last weekend, um, my family and I, we went to Home Depot, and we got the flowers, and we got the soil, and the whole thing, right? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but here's the deal. I was the one that determined the vase. I was the one that determined the soil. I was the one that determined how much I was going to water it, and then I put the plant in there, and at this point, it is the plant's job to grow. And for so many of us in here, we are waiting for some different scenario. And God says, bloom where I, bloom where I planted you. I determine the circumstance. That boss that you cannot stand, he is there for your admonition. He is going to make you into the man or the woman that you need to be. Bloom where you are planted. I am the one that set the circumstances. I am the one that gave you the day. I am the one that gave you the soil. Your job, by the help of the Holy Spirit working in you and the power of Jesus Christ at work within you, is to bloom right there. That is what I gave you. It is your gift to bloom where you are planted. It is amazing that Joseph chose to thrive here and then he chose to serve. We will rule, Christian, not by playing the number one, but by serving as the number two. And the reason I say Christian is because I don't know very many Christians that rule as the number one. I know loads of Christians that play and move the puppet strings and serve God and push forward the kingdom as a number two. That's what I know in this world. And so we will rule not by playing the number one, but by serving as the number two. And this is what Joseph decided to do. Could it be that God is crucifying a little bit in your heart tonight? He is crucifying a little bit of your man-made dream so that he could make room for his servanthood. Maybe that's what he really wants to do. The thing that's missing, the detail that's missing about Joseph's life is, is we don't know. He chose to serve Potiphar, but we don't know what Potiphar was like, really. Like, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say what kind of boss he was like. Like, was he like Michael Scott? Like, we don't know. Was he like D'Angelo Vickers? Like, we're not sure, you know? Like, was he, was he kind and was he trusting? And did he give, um, you know, a long leash to Joseph? Like, we don't know. Was he shrewd and cold and uncaring? Like, we don't know. What we do know is the choice that Joseph made to serve him. And here's what I believe about Joseph, because this is what I have learned in my life and what we have learned as Christians, is that when we serve people, we are not serving them in their humanity. We are serving them for their God-given potential. We are looking at them and we're saying, I see gold in you, even if the rest of the world doesn't, and I will serve that until I see it come to fruition. This is what Joseph chose to do with Potiphar. He chose to serve the potential that was inside of him. It says this in Philippians. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Push yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. This is exactly what Joseph did. And he took his position as a slave. And he took on the heart of a servant. And so maybe tonight, bonus question. What is the difference between your job feeling like you are a slave and your job feeling like you are a willing servant? Your choice your choice. He chose to serve. Um, those of you who have waited tables, there's a whole bunch of us in here. Um, I know the minute like a server walks up, like if they are like stoked about serving or if they're just like, there's your coaster, you know? <laughs> I have a pet peeve where when waiters drop the check early, oh man, uh, you know? Because I'm like, dude, I was you. Dude, you are robbing me right now. Like, 
I get you, like you want to go home, you want to clock out, you want to check out, you want to kick back, I get that. But this is your job. Don't phone it in. And I think sometimes for us, our jobs, Christian, is to serve the people around us. It is to make it easy for them to live their lives. It is to set the table of their life, to serve them, to wait on them, to simplify their world, to make it easy on them. Romans 13 says, be easy on your authorities. Make it easy for them to lead you. And sometimes this is what we are called to do, to serve them, not as unto Potiphar, but as unto the Lord. A few years ago, um, I'm a wife now. I've been married for, um, gosh, long time. I'm not going to, oh, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> and um, I remembered thinking about serving my husband and playing a number two to my husband. And I had a revelation in counseling one day. And it was simply this. It was that my husband, he's amazing, but he is not perfect. And I serve him, church, and I trust him, and I come under him, and I support him, and I lift him up, not because he is perfect, but because I serve him, as the Bible says, as unto the Lord. Some of you tonight, you need to go back to your workspaces and to the places where you have authority, and you need to serve them because they have a God-given potential, and you serve them as unto the Lord. This is what Joseph did. The Bible, just immediately after it says this, it says, have this attitude in yourself in Philippians 2 that Jesus had. That although he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he gave it up, humbling himself, taking the form of a what? A bond servant. This is our Jesus. He came to serve, and this is what we are here to do. It is to serve other people. So Joseph did this. So he begins to serve Potiphar, and he begins to lift Potiphar up, and, and all of his um, field and, and his workers and, and managing his days, he makes sure that he does a good job, and he pushes the agenda of Potiphar forward. And then, and then he starts to manage Potiphar's staff and, and kind of grow um, the fields that way, and he pushes Potiphar and Potiphar's agenda forward, and then he begins to manage Potiphar's household, and, and he lifts Potiphar up, and he pushes Potiphar forward and his agenda, and, and pretty soon, Joseph is reaping the reward of everything that was supposed to be Potiphar's. Do you understand that when you play the number two, that God will bless you as if you were the number one? Do you understand that when you push someone forward, you go where they go, if, as long as you are okay with them using your back a little bit? And so he pushes Potiphar forward, he pushes him forward, and pretty soon he is in a space where he wins every time Potiphar wins. He wins every time Potiphar gets rewarded. He receives the same reward. Which leads me to my last point, and it's simply this. I win when you win. We win when the number ones in our lives win. This is the truth tonight. This is it. This is the space tonight. This is what God wants to teach us. We win when they win. Years ago, I had um, a big revelation when I was, I was working here at Red Rocks, and it was basically this. It was basically this analogy. It was basically this principle. And I was reading this book called Good to Great, and it was talking about leadership because I was like, I want to be a leader, you know, don't we all? 
And it's about um, how good companies become great companies and the difference between the two. If you've read the book, it's phenomenal. I suggest, highly suggest you read it. It's amazing because it was written by a man in the marketplace and it is loaded, loaded with biblical, Holy Spirit-driven principles. It's amazing. But anyway, this book basically talks about the difference between great companies and good companies and, and that these great companies, the way that they defined it in the book were companies that were able to outlast and withstand the good companies, that they um, outperformed the market by 10 times, 20 times, but they did it for a really long time. In other words, it was something that endured. It was a company that lived on beyond the employees. And then he defined a type of leadership in each of these organizations, and he, just, he defined um, the leader of a great organization as a level five leader. And, but first he defines a level four, and he says a level four leader is somebody who is um, full of charisma, who is driven, who is very talented, who is very capable, a high-functioning leader. That is a level four leader. But he says a level five leader is a little bit something different. A level five leader, and he defines it this way, a level five leader builds enduring greatness through the paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. And then he says this, they channel their ego away from themselves into the larger goal of building a great company. It's not that they don't have ego or self-interest. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious. But that ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not for themselves. In other words, level five leaders, they push and they push, and they push, and they push the organization forward. And I had a moment where I realized that my ambitions, that my goals were nothing compared to the Lord's. And that my ambitions and that my goals, they were nothing compared to what God could do at Red Rocks Church. <laughs> and I decided I will take everything that I am and I will push, and I will push, and I will push, and I will push. What kind of leader are you tonight? Are you the kind of leader that is ambitious for yourself? Or are you the kind of leader that is ambitious for the mission? And to see people come into greatness, and to see people find Jesus and to find their goodness and to find their potential. Do you know how many people have no idea how gifted, how talented, how wanted by God they are? They just need somebody to come and serve them. How many of you tonight could change your atmospheres by moving from a level four to a level five? And what this means is simply this. It means kind of being okay with being a number two, even if you're the number one. The story of Joseph goes on, and it kind of takes a tragic turn. He gets accused of a million different crimes by this woman. Sometimes women are crazy. Sometimes they're amazing. And he gets thrown into jail, and he is now at the bottom of a prison cell. And he does something, again, miraculous, and he chooses to engage. And he chooses to thrive. Those Egyptian prisons were probably nothing like the American prisons that we know today. Those, it probably looks like a country club. They were filled with dung and you would be strapped with to another prisoner and people would die there and they would just let them rot. And he decides to thrive. And he decides to serve. And so the warden looks at him and he's like, man, you're amazing. And he puts him in charge of all of the prisoners in the prison. And at some point, 
He gets known as a man who interprets dreams. He has heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, but he gets known as a man who interprets dreams. And at some point, Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And so he goes and he meets with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, okay, here's the deal. I had this dream. I dreamt that there were seven fat cows, and then there were seven skinny cows. Read your Bibles. It's amazing. And what does it mean? And Joseph said very simply, I'm not going to interpret your dream. He said, but God will. And this means that we are going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. And after this, Joseph began to do what Joseph does. And he served. And he went out to the cities and made storehouses of grain. And for the next seven years, he served Pharaoh, building up grain and building up spices and building up herbs so that when the drought came, when the famine came, they could last the seven years. And listen to me, at this point in time, because of Joseph, he made it possible so that Pharaoh was the only man in town. He was the only show in town. He was the only business in town. Pharaoh was the most prominent. He was the most powerful person in all of the world. And he was that because of Joseph. And it says this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of all of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it onto Joseph's finger and he dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck's neck and he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in Egypt. In other words, he said this, he said, I am the number one, Joseph, but you rule as the number two. This is how we rule, by serving. And it says this, Joseph was 30 years old when he what? Entered into service. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is how God works. This is how he advances you. This is how he pushes you forward. This is how you achieve your dreams. He entered the service of Pharaoh the king. Joseph's dream was to rule, but understand this, God had a very different dream. God had a dream for his beloved people for his selected people of Israel to not perish in a famine but to live this was God's dream and so God crucified Joseph's dream so that he could give birth to his dream and because of Joseph the people of Israel the Israelites lived could everybody stand maybe today you are downtrodden in your job and you feel forgotten you feel lost, you feel hopeless. There was a point when Joseph looked at some of his best friends in prison and they were getting out and he said, don't forget about me. And they forgot about him. He said, don't leave me. And they left him. And maybe you're feeling like, I can't do another season, Jesus. I can't serve another moment. I can't serve this boss that's terrible. I can't serve this place that's awful. Listen to me, choose to thrive, bloom where you're planted and it could possibly be that you will rule in this lifetime by playing the number two. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for every single person in here. I pray that people would be encouraged that by your Holy Spirit that's seated at the right hand of God, there is nothing that we can't do, that we are gifted to get to serve people, that we are blessed to get to push people forward. God, we love you so much. Thank you that you love the number twos. Thank you that you lift up the number twos. We worship you tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.